Well, good morning. Good to see you. As uh, Alan said, and Nathan also, we, we've had a, a big weekend in our student ministry, and uh, Carrie and I were privileged to be a part of that. Uh, I can't wait to go to sleep tonight. Uh, but other than that, it's been great. And, and I want to say, you would be proud and impressed with the students from this church because this was not a go away and make s'mores and have fun time. We had fun, but we really got into the Word of God, and these students were passionate about studying and getting real about what God wants to do in their hearts. So I think that's a wonderful sign for our church and for the whole kingdom of God that God is raising up young men and women who are passionate about serving Him well. And our goal is that we would be a church that is passionate about seeking Him with all our hearts. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. By the way, one more thing about Aletheia Weekend. You may see some pictures um, of that weekend. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Just remember Photoshop is a thing. Don't believe everything you see. That's all I got to say. Okay, so John 14, John 14 verses 8 through 12. If you would turn there with me. Um, and I, I just want to remind you we are in this all-in challenge. So we are challenging our church members to do four different things. We talked two weeks ago about reading the entire Bible. If you've never tried that before or if you've tried and failed and you want to join in that challenge with us, I highly encourage you. We have a reading plan out there in the atrium on the, the table that says All In. You can also find it online on our website. You can find it on the Uversion app on your smartphone. If you need help with that, just let me know. Um, if you need some encouragement, go back and listen to the sermon I preached two weeks ago um, because this is something that will bless you. Last week, we talked about praying for the lost, and I shared with you a method of praying for all the people in your life who don't have a relationship with Christ or whose relationship with Christ isn't what it should be, and I hope you've already put that into practice. If you, didn't get, if you, if you weren't there, that's online also, but there's a sheet on the all-in table that shows you that little diagram, the, the seven concentric circles. So if you need that, grab one, help you make that list for yourself. Today, we're going to talk about the third challenge. And that is engaging in missions and what that means and why. So here's the context of John 14. John 14 is a chapter you hear a lot at funerals because it's where Jesus says, I am going there to prepare a place for you and I will come again and take you to be with me where I am. The context is Jesus is just about to be arrested. He knows that, his disciples don't. But it's starting to dawn on them. That all these times when he said, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be sold out by my own people, they finally started to understand Jesus meant that. He's not being metaphorical, he's not, uh, he's not talking in riddles, he's telling the truth about what's going to happen to him. And they didn't think it was possible, they thought he was Messiah, he was going to be king. Now they're starting to understand, hey, we're going to lose this man we've given our lives to. And and, and understandably, they're upset. And so, interestingly, chapter 14 is Jesus comforting them. But here's the part we don't usually focus on. The, the verses we're going to read right now, I want you to see two astonishing things Jesus says here. Two things which, I promise you, when Jesus said them, his disciples drew in their breath. It wasn't something they expected to hear. So see if you can pick out the two astonishing things. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So do you notice the two really astonishing things Jesus said there? The first one is, when Philip says, show us the Father, Jesus says, you're looking at him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus equates himself with God. This is not the only time he says something like that, but it's one of the, one of the more explicit moments when Jesus claims his own divinity. And I just have to say, as your pastor and as your friend, just give you this warning, if you're ever around someone who says something like that, get as far away from that person as possible. I'm serious. If, you ever, if you're ever around someone who claims to be divine or says, well, you know, I'm basically God, then you don't need to be around that person. You need to stop listening to them at that moment, unless there's an exception. If you're around that person and you hear an audible voice from the sky say, behold, this is my beloved son, listen to him. If you see that person walk on water, if you see that person raise people from the dead, if you see that person make blind people see and deaf people hear, if you see that person still a storm, if you see that person die and rise again, then maybe you can believe. Otherwise, no. Jesus said something no one should ever say unless it's true. But that's not the one I want to focus on this morning, as important as that truth is. I want to focus on the second astonishing thing Jesus said here, and that is when uh, Jesus says in verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and will do even greater things than these. What on earth was he talking about? Because let me just remind you, we're talking about the guy who raised the dead, stilled the storm, healed the blind, healed the deaf, healed the sick. I can't do any of those things. Can you do any of those things? Anybody here? I can't even change the clock on my car, you know? I, I, I am totally lacking in that ability, in any kind of miraculous ability. I mean, it, it'll be a miracle if I preach this sermon and the kids in the front row don't fall asleep. So, you know, I don't have a ton of power. And yet, Jesus tells me, I'll do even greater things than he will. What in the world did he mean by that? Keep in mind, the next thing he says after those words is, because I am going to the Father. And then he goes on to talk about, if you read the rest of chapter 14, the rest of the chapter he's talking about, the Holy Spirit. And then he mentions him again in 15, and he mentions them again in 16, because this is all the record of one night in Jesus' life, a few hours before he's arrested, a few hours before he's taken away. He says, I am leaving, but I'm not really leaving. You won't see me again in the flesh, but my spirit is, leaving behind, is what I'm leaving behind. Now, let's be honest. If you grew up Baptist and you're my age or older, you grew up in a time when Baptists just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit because that was something Pentecostal, right? That was what those apostolic churches did and we didn't want to be like them because goodness knows it'd sure be terrible if we got too much of the Spirit in us, right? I'm being sarcastic. So, so a lot of us grew up just not hearing about the Holy Spirit because unfortunately we, we, just, we just didn't preach it like it's in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the, literally God in spirit form. It's Jesus in spirit form. And Jesus was saying, once I leave, he's going to come live in you. He is going to dwell in your heart. And get what that means, folks. I, I mean, I can't overstate this. The same power that created the universe, same power that raised the Lord from the dead, is in you. 
That does not mean now, please hear me, does not mean that you have the power to do whatever you want to and thank God for that. Because can you imagine the power of Almighty God in the hands of an eighth grade girl who's mad at her friend, right? I mean, no offense. Uh, Can you imagine that kind of power in the hands of an American male at a football game? You've seen this, right? Can you imagine that kind of power in the hands of anybody driving down a freeway in Houston? The kindest, gentlest person in the room today would have long since turned somebody into a cockroach and squashed them. I promise you. None of us, none of us needs that kind of power and ability to wield it. So what it means is the power of God is in you to accomplish everything God wants you to accomplish. So God gives you a task, God puts an opportunity in front of you, and your heart, your mind all say, Lord, I'm not up to this, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, yes, you are, because I'm in you, and you can do greater things through me than you ever thought possible. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. You can do it. You can accomplish all the things I have planned for you. So next week, uh, actually uh, two weeks from today, we're going to start a series on the book of Acts, and we're going to be talking about what a church is supposed to be. We're going to be looking at the original church, the first people to follow Jesus. And you're going to hear some amazing stories, and if you didn't already know them, it's going to be exciting. If you've already heard these stories, hopefully you're going to see them in a new light, and it's going to make you think, okay, this is what church should be like. One of the people who was one to salvation in those early days was a guy named Saul. We talked about him last week. You've probably heard of him. He goes on to be the Apostle Paul. He would later write that every individual congregation, every local church is the body of Christ. So Jesus in the flesh is no longer here, and yet in a way he still is. Because you take every church, whether it's 15 people or 15,000 people, in every church there are spiritual gifts that God has given. And so there's at least a handful of people in that church who are good at teaching the Word. There are people in that church who are good at giving, people in that church who are good at planning, people in that church who have powerful faith, people who are prayer warriors, people who are, who are incredibly effective at sharing their faith, and so on, right down the line, so that every single member of the local church has the ability to do something that brings people to God in a unique way so that every single member of each individual church is vital. And you wouldn't want to do without that person who sits on the fifth row on the left-hand side, just like you wouldn't want to do without your elbow or your, your, your eardrum or your kidney. Every single member is precious. Every single member is part of what Jesus is accomplishing in this world. So, so that means, that means once he left, Jesus, when he said, I, I, you know, I'm, you'll do even greater things than I do, what he meant was, I, I'm great. I, I'm the son of God. I'm God in human flesh, but I'm just one. I can only be in one place at one time. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, there were people all over the world that had no idea there was good news. They weren't hearing that. Just a few thousand heard it at a time. When Jesus is healing a leper in Caesarea, there's people in Jericho and Jerusalem and and in Nazareth and in Capernaum who are sick who can't be healed because Jesus has, has got to be in one place. He can't be all over the place. But now, now that he's gone and he's placed his spirit inside of us, there are bodies of Christ all over the world doing his will, accomplishing his purpose. So let's look at it this way. So let's imagine, and this isn't the case, thank God, but let's imagine that the only Christians in the world are the people sitting in this room. The people who are 
in this church today. Well, even if that were the case, there's probably been about seven to 800 people who have worshiped here today and are worshiping here today. And every one of us is going to get up from this place and we're going to leave and we're going to go to a different neighborhood, a different apartment complex, a different trailer park, a different house. We're each going to interact with different neighbors, with different people in different grocery stores. We're going to get up in the morning. We're going to drive to work in Houston. We're going to drive to work here in Montgomery County or in other places. We're going to be teachers and students in schools in this district. We're going to be uh, working in office buildings and construction sites and oil fields and courthouses and city halls and all kinds of other workplaces that you and I can't even imagine. And you're going to interact between the, the few hundred people in this room, we're going to interact with several thousand people just in this next week alone. And the Holy Spirit is going to be active arranging opportunities throughout those relationships and interactions so that we have opportunity to draw people to God every single day. And some of us will go even further than that. Some people in this room, I hate to say it, I wish it weren't true, but, but God knows what he's doing. God's going to call you to move to another town, and you're going to take the gospel with you there. Some people in this room, in fact, we just don't know. It could happen. There could be a handful or more of people in this room who choose to take the gospel to another nation. Just like Jeff Harrington grew up in this church, and now he's now he's winning people to Christ in Costa Rica, just like Russ Fleetwood grew up in this church. And right now, he is working among indigenous people in Colombia. And there, there could be somebody who follows in those tracks in this very room today. And get this, the best thing about it is we aren't the only church. We aren't the only ones. There are churches of different denominations that all preach the gospel of Jesus Christ who are led by the Holy Spirit all over this world. And you think about that for a moment. Jesus didn't really leave this world. He multiplied himself. Isn't the plan of God incredible? Doesn't God know what he's doing? But there's a flaw in the plan. I have to say it. Please don't, I'm not being heretical, but there is a flaw in the plan of God, and the flaw is us. We're the flaw because we're sinners. I know your pastor's a sinner. I can, I can testify to that. And, and y'all, I've been here close to three years. I've pretty much decided y'all are too. I hope you take that well. I hope, I hope you understand I still love you. But yeah, y'all are sinners too. And, and the problem with putting your plan on the backs of sinners is sinners tend to do the wrong thing. Sinners tend to say, okay, Lord, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't really want to. Or, okay, I'll do it, but I won't have a good attitude about it. Or I'll do it for the wrong motives. Sinners don't really function the way redeemed people should. And that leads to the fact that the body of Christ doesn't match up to its head. The head of every church is Jesus, but the body doesn't really match its head. Philip Yancey, my favorite Christian author, he tells a story in one of his books about a friend of his who had cerebral palsy. You know, part of the nature of that, that disorder is that a person with cerebral palsy, their mind is fine. They're, they're intelligent, sometimes more intelligent in ways than, than you and I are, but their body doesn't respond to the commands their brain gives. So, so you or I who don't have that disorder, our brain says walk and our legs walk. Our brain says say these words and our, our mouth says them. But for a person with cerebral palsy, they can't necessarily do those things. Or if they are able to speak, maybe it's not understandable to those who are listening and so it's a very frustrating, very debilitating illness. And, and Yancey's friend 
uh, was in college. So every day she would, she would get to college, she would take her classes. She actually ended up graduating at the top of her class, and the professors in administration said, we really want her to deliver the graduation address. Now, that was a problem because she couldn't speak in a way that was clear. And so what she did was she wrote out the, the actual address, the speech, using the, the special computer that she had that, that, turned, uh, that turned her thoughts to, to words on the screen. And, and so she, at, on the graduation day, she is sitting on the stage, just sitting in her wheelchair while a friend read the speech for her. And Yancey said it was, it was an amazing thing to see because all the students were gathered there and you could tell they were listening to this amazing speech that's being delivered. And you could see the wheels in their heads going, you know, we passed her every day, sitting there in her wheelchair, kind of, uh, you know, her limbs kind of askew, her mouth open, just thinking, you know, just kind of ignoring her because we didn't really pay attention, not realizing the mind that existed inside that body, the mind that was capable of forming such thoughts, such inspiring thoughts we never knew. And Yancey said, that's a perfect picture of the local church because we're sinners. Our head is perfect. Our head, our mind, that Jesus is the great, great head of the church. And if people could get a vision of who he is, they'd be drawn to him in an irresistible way. The problem is Jesus' body is dysfunctional. And he says, go, and we don't go. And he says, speak, and we don't speak. And he says, do these things, and we say, no. And so the world looks at the church and they don't see the head of Christ. They don't see the glory of our Savior. They see something less. They don't realize what they're missing. So that's why last fall, you know, every fall we gather and, and as, a, as a ministry staff and we go away somewhere and we pray and we talk and we brainstorm and we come up with a theme, uh, a direction we want to lead the church in the coming year. So last fall, last September, when we were in Fort Worth, we, we just knew we're, we're at the end of a three-year cycle where we're, we're just praying for God to change the heart of us as a congregation and make us, instead of being people who just do the same thing over and over again, make us people who are passionate about making disciples. That that is what we become known for in Montgomery County and beyond. That, man, if you want your life changed, those people at First Baptist, they will show you the way. And so we knew that in year three, we want to really hit the accelerator button on, on our, our pedal on God getting us there. And so we wanted to challenge each member of this church to pursue Christ, to pursue spiritual growth like we never have before. And that came down to these four challenges. We knew that part of it had to be reading the Word of God. You, you don't grow in Christ without studying His Word. And so we challenge you to read the entire Bible. And we knew that praying for the lost had to be part of it because prayer, you don't change without prayer and, and praying for the lost is going to get our minds on those outside our congregation. But we also knew that God gave us a body, not just a mind and a mouth. God gave us hands and feet to do things. We knew, we knew that when you serve others, it changes you. And I'll be the first one to admit, I don't like serving others. Some of you are good at that. Some of you have that gift, that calling. I'm lazy by nature. I'm selfish by nature. I don't like to go out and help other people. But every time I do, and every time I do it without getting anything in return, nobody saying, hey, good job, Jeff. It changes me and makes me a little bit more like Jesus. And boy, that is what I need. And I just happen to think that's true of you too. That when we serve when we serve others in His name, it changes us. So that's why challenge number three is, 
I will engage in missions this year. I will engage in missions. Now, what do I mean by engaging in missions? I need to be very specific because this is a church that historically speaking, has been very missions-minded. We've, uh, we've sent people onto the foreign mission field. I've already mentioned a couple of them. We, we give thousands of dollars every year away to missions causes. So when you give your offering, you can feel good knowing that a percentage of that offering goes to plant churches and support missionaries here in North America and around the world. And we're going to keep on doing that. And then people, lots of people in this church are very passionate about missions, and so they'll give over and above their regular tithes, specifically to mission offerings like Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, Mary Hill Davis, and those, those offerings go directly to the missionaries. And so this church is going to continue to do that. And in, even beyond that, we do things like, um, like Operation Christmas Child, where you pack a, a shoebox full of toys and other gifts for kids that go around the world. Uh, shoes for Orphan Souls, where we gather those shoes for orphans in other countries. Uh, backpacks for Mission Conroe in the fall, heading into the school year. We're going to keep doing those kinds of things. But that's not what I'm talking about. Giving to missions is great. We have to do that. But I'm talking about more than giving. I'm talking about doing. I'm also not talking about volunteering here at church. It is important to volunteer here at church. Alan did the math a few years ago or a few months ago and, and, and told us that every Sunday it takes around 225 people to make Sunday mornings happen at First Baptist Church. You think about that. Between life group leaders and directors, between people working in the nursery, taking care of our kids, between greeters and ushers and people working the welcome desk and, and so many other roles, choir, orchestra, worship band, 225 people just to make Sunday mornings happen. That's not even counting people who serve on committees. That's not even counting people who do our midweek ministries and the many other things that happen. So yeah, we need you to volunteer for ministry. If you're not already volunteering for a ministry, you need to. We need your help. But that's not what I mean either. That's not what I mean by engaging in missions. So here's what I mean. Here's the definition we're using. Engaging in missions means serving people outside the church walls in a hands-on way that communicates the love of Jesus. So it's you doing things, not just giving things. It's you reaching people, not here, people out there. It's you doing it in a hands-on way and doing it from the motivation of, I hope this leads you closer to Christ. That's engaging in missions, and that's what we're challenging you to commit to this year. So what do I mean? What opportunities are we offering? When you leave here this morning, there's going to be four tables outside, kind of shaped in a, in, in a square, and there are opportunities there to sign up just to indicate interest. I'm interested in this opportunity. Now, there's a lot of opportunities. I probably won't mention them all. If you have a favorite mission opportunity ministry, and I don't mention it, please don't be angry with me. I'm trying my best, okay? So here we go. There are mission trips that we take every year as a congregation. I realize not everybody can, has the time or the wherewithal to leave the country or leave the city and go take the gospel somewhere else, but some of you do. And if you can, it's worth a week's vacation time. It's worth uh, you know, soliciting donations from your friends to help you take these trips. Uh, this year we have plans to take a, a trip to Costa Rica to support the Harringtons, another one to Columbia to support Russ and Sherry Fleetwood. For many years, this church was involved in, uh, in partnering with a church in Vancouver on a college campus in a very, very uh, non-Christian city. Um, and so we're, we're planning a trip there also. And every summer, our teenagers, our student ministry, goes on a trip to New Orleans and reaches out to uh, homeless people there. 
Obviously, if you're going with the, with the youth group, not everybody can go. You've got to pass a background check. There are certain requirements there. But we do want you to sign up if you're interested. At least let us know you have interest in that. Locally, every Sunday, many of you probably don't know this, although you do if you follow our Facebook feed. Every Sunday, there are people from this church who go to the Belshire Apartments and serve in what we call Mission Conroe, who reach out to families right there. And that's a ministry that has won a lot of people to Christ. Every Sunday, we need people to serve at Mission Conroe. Gina Noel leads that ministry. If you have questions, we can put you in touch with her. But there's an opportunity today to go out and say, just sign up and say, okay, I'll take this Sunday. I'll serve this Sunday. I don't even know what I'm signing up for. I just, I'm willing. I'm willing to go. Um, there's last year, uh, most of you know, we went through a process called the missional pathway where we discovered our own uh, calling for Christ. We discovered also what God is leading us to do as a church. And we came to the conclusion as a church that we want to adopt a local school. We want to reach out to a particular local neighborhood and we want to in some way reach out to city hall, to the people who work there, leaders, employees, people who serve our city. Now we won't do all of those at the same time. That's a three-year process and we haven't decided yet which one to do first. But if one of those sparks interest in you, go out and sign up uh, on one of those tables and it'll let us know, hey, we have this many people who when we're ready to adopt a school, they're ready to jump in. When we're ready to reach out to the neighborhood, they're ready to go with us. There, there are so many ways for you to engage in missions, and a lot of them aren't even involved with our church. You don't have to do something First Baptist endorsed. Um, Angela's here, Angela Matthews. She leads Project Mentor that, that hooks up uh, adult people with, with uh, teenagers in our school system who need a mentor. You meet with them once a week. It's a powerful opportunity. There's, there's a long list of kids who need mentors, and you can sign up with that. Uh, talk to her. If you don't know her, I can... I can arrange that meeting. Uh, Greg Kohler, who goes to our church, is part of Volunteer Christian Builders. They go out and build church buildings and schools and, and Christian campgrounds. If you've got those skills and you enjoy that kind of work, that's an opportunity. If you're passionate about helping homeless people, there are a number of ministries in our community. Conroe House of Prayer, Under Over Fellowship, uh, Salvation Army, so many others. Right here at our church, we, offer, we serve a, a meal to the homeless once a week. You can volunteer with that. Uh, we have church members who are involved in Habitat for Humanity. We've got several who are involved in prison ministry. And the list goes on and on. You can do it. Now, please understand, you don't have to come up to me and say, hey, Jeff, I'm not going to do any of those things you mentioned, but here's an idea I had for a mission opportunity. You don't need to, t you don't, I'm not your judge. You don't have to clear it with me. As long as it's something you are committing to do this year and it's outside the walls of the church and it's hands-on and it's focused on spreading the love of Christ, that's all that matters. You don't even have to know what you're going to do yet. Just say, I am willing to offer myself. I am willing to engage in missions in some way, however I find a way to do it. Again, there are opportunities in the atrium, and there's also the all-in table where you can go and, and commit to this whole thing, to the, to the four challenges. Some of you are waiting till next week. You're like, I want to hear that fourth challenge first. And that's fine, all right? But commit. Not because it'll make me feel better. Not because it'll make you a better Christian. Not because, not because God's going to love you more because he won't. It's just, this is going to result in growth for you and joy for you, and it's going to touch the lives of others. So let me just, let me just close with this. In 1972, Edward Lorenz, a meteorologist at MIT, 
was at, a, at an academic uh, seminar. He presented a paper. The name of the paper was Predictability. Does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? Real title, real paper, and it actually changed the world because what he was talking about was, as a meteorologist, he was saying, I can't promise you with 100% confidence that my prediction of the weather is going to be accurate because there are so many little factors we can't even see, so many little unseen things that happen on one side of the world that create a chain reaction that changes things on the other side of the planet. Now, there's a name for that today. Edward Lorenz articulated that uh, nearly, nearly 50 years ago, but we came up with a name for it. We call it the butterfly effect. Anybody ever heard of that? The butterfly effect uh, is, is something that people look at and observe in all kinds of different disciplines. And I think it's also true in the spiritual world. I think there's a spiritual butterfly effect. And I want to give you a hypothetical example. And I'm going to use you as my example, okay? So imagine that this year you decide, well, my mission engagement is going to be, I'm going to volunteer at my local public school. And I'm just going to show up one day and say, how can you use me? And imagine you do that, and they say, well, we've got a little boy in fifth grade who's having trouble with math. Will you tutor him on math? And you say, okay. And so once a week you show up, and you sit in the hallway with him, and you work on math with him, and after about a month you decide, you know what, fifth grade math is really too complicated for me. I just can't do this. And if so, you and me are in the same boat. But, but you give up, that's okay. You walk away, maybe not feeling like the biggest success in the world, but guess what? You've planted a seed in that young man's heart. Because it's a powerful thing when a grown-up person pays attention to a young person. Especially a young person who maybe doesn't know his dad, maybe doesn't have a great relationship with his parents, maybe doesn't get a lot of attention at home. And now here's this grown-up person who's one-on-one just looking at him and paying attention to him and knows his name and cares about him. And let's say a few years down the road, that young man as a teenager Here's the gospel for the very first time, articulated in a way that he understands. And as he's wrestling with the concept that there's a God who knows me and loves me enough to die for me, and he's trying to decide, do I actually believe that? A thought comes to him, hey, I remember this person. I don't even remember their name. I don't even remember what they look like. But there was this person that a church sent to help me with my homework when I was in fifth grade. Maybe God really does love me. And he accepts Jesus as his Savior. And he becomes passionate about knowing Christ and and becoming the person Christ created him to be. And as he grows up, he grows into adulthood and he meets a young woman who's also a a Jesus follower. And they get married and they decide to have a family and they say, we're going to have kids and when we have kids, we're going to just devote ourselves as parents to making Christ known to them and and creating an environment in our home that will just birth powerful faith. We want our kids to change the world for Christ. And they end up having three kids, two girls and a boy. And the oldest girl grows up and says, I want to be a teacher. I want to, I want to go into an elementary school and start impacting children at the very beginning. And the, and the second girl grows up and she says, I care about these teenagers who are so wayward and so lost. They've run away from home or they're, they're caught up in prostitution or addiction. I want, to, I want to start a ministry in the inner city where kids who feel like they can't go home will come to me and I will, I will help them rebuild their lives. And the third child, the boy, uh, turns out to be the black sheep of the family. He's rebellious. He, he turns away from his parents' faith. He wanders away and he wanders. His path ends up leading to addiction, ends up leading to crime, ends up leading to violence, and he finds himself in prison. And there in prison, at the end of his rope, mean as a snake, he suddenly recognizes, I have ruined my life. 
And he thinks back to the faith that his parents had and all the hopes they had for him. And his heart breaks and he cries out to God and said, Lord, is there some way you can rescue me? And he does. And that young man becomes saved right there in the darkest place in the, on the planet. And, and all the people around him, all of his cellmates and his fellow prisoners and even the guards notice there's a change in this guy. And even the warden of the prison, who's not a religious man, begins to notice. And, and the prisoner, begin, this young man begins to say to him, we need more of this. Would you, would you give access to people who preach the gospel? Would you give access to prison ministry? And the warden does. And suddenly there's a vibrant prison ministry right there in that prison. And more and more people come to Christ. And more and more people had their lives changed. And when they get out into the world, instead of coming right back to prison, they make the world a better place. And you think about how many people are impacted, how many lives are impacted by the young woman who becomes an elementary school teacher. What a powerful opportunity to teach young children like she does. Think about how many lives are changed by this young woman who does this ministry to, to teenagers. And think about how many lives are changed by that man in that prison, that boy grown into a man whose heart has changed. And that's just the first generation after the boy whose homework you helped. Think about the second generation, third and the fourth and the fifth after that. How many lives are impacted? Now think about this. Think about someday Jesus is going to come back and you're, you're going to be with him because you've been rescued by the grace of God. He died for your sins and you've given your life to him. And so one day you're, you're standing in the new earth and you find yourself with all the time in the world to meet people, to talk to people, to think back on the course of your life and, and rediscover the decisions you made and the impacts they had on the world. And over and over again, you end up having the same conversation. The strange person who you've never met before comes up and says, you know what? I used to be strung out on drugs, but I'm not anymore, and part of it is because of you. You know what? I, my, my family was broken, but, but I, I did the hard work of putting us back together, and you were a part of that. I, 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 used to, I used to hate God, and then I came home to Him, and that's why I'm here today, and it's partially because of you. Why? Because you helped that guy with his homework. Because you helped that guy with his math. And it made an impression. And that started a chain reaction that touched thousands and thousands of lives. Now do you understand how Jesus could say, you're going to do even greater things than I do? Now do you understand how powerful it is when we get off of our couch, off of our pew, out into the community, serving Him? 